This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. It's not called NAFTA anymore, but we have a trade deal with the United States and Mexico, which is rather unimaginatively called USMCA. Because, remember, Donald Trump said NAFTA was a disaster. And by making the deal, presumably our economy has avoided disaster. That would have come in the form of that threatened 25% tariffs on our auto exports. Now, throughout the lengthy and testy negotiations, Justin Trudeau kept saying that no deal was better than a bad deal. But is this a good deal? And what does it mean to you and me? And what exactly did we give up to get it? I want to hear from you. The number is 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Right now, we are going to Sarah Goldfeder, who is a principal at the Earnscliff Strategy Group, a fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute, and she served as a special assistant to two U.S. ambassadors to Canada, and also Keith Curry, President of the Ontario Federation of Agriculture. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Good, good afternoon. Okay, so first let's start with Sarah. Uh, what we know about the deal so far, uh, do you think it's likely a good deal? I, I think for the situation, for the moment of time that we're in, it's probably as good as it was going to get. Um, it, it isn't much in... in I'm sure uh, I'm sure Keith is going to have his own opinion on this, but I think and for the majority of the agreement, um, it's very similar to what was in place and to what had been negotiated in TPP. And, and dairy really is the one area where um, quite a lot of ground was given up. Okay, so yes, uh, it looks like uh, the farmers are, are the ones who are paying for this uh, supposedly good deal. Uh, we got our uh, dispute resolution mechanism. That was another very contentious issue. Uh, and there are a couple of other things that we'll get to in a moment. Some retailers, Canadian retailers, might not be happy with some of the rules that will affect online shopping. Uh, but Keith Curry, uh, you represent farmers. Um, what do you think of the deal? Well, we're still waiting for all the details to come out on the deal yet. We haven't haven't seen the the, the final result of, of the negotiations. But uh, certainly, you know, the supply managed sector is very concerned. A lot of the concessions that we gave up in in the TPP or now CPTPP agreement was based on market access for the U.S. Uh, market. Uh, or for the U.S. producers to get into our market. So 
to have to give virtually the same kind of access up in a new deal um, really is problematic because it starts to become a death of a thousand cuts. Uh, yes, the dairy sector give up three point, I believe it's three point two five percent, but what's lost in that is 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 the loss of the class seven that was uh, created earlier. Okay, in the year. that's a little technical uh, for us, for people listening at home um, who might be thinking, well, gee, you know, if uh, American dairy products come in, they'll be cheaper, and I like that. What what do you say to them? The reality is they won't be cheaper. Um, and we know that uh, for the past couple of decades, through price comparisons, our retail prices are the same by and large for the most part. Uh, what's different is the farm gate price. So getting cheaper prices is, isn't going to happen. You're not getting a superior product uh, coming in. You're just getting uh, more access to our current existing supply and managed market. So it's not going to be a big win for the consumer like people may seem to think. Uh-huh. And uh, it, it, you know, um, we don't use antibiotics in our milk. The Americans do. So what do you want to tell consumers about what they, what they would have to watch out for if they want to buy some of these American products? Well, what people need to understand is, is that all products, all food products are tested before they get into the market anyway. So if there's any uh, residues of antibiotics in milk, it doesn't matter what side of the border they're on, that milk does not get into the food system. So from a safety aspect, uh, that, that's, not, that's not an issue. But, you know, when you look at the economic aspect of it, uh, you know, just the dairy industry alone, there's some 220,000 various jobs uh, related to that, that whole sector. And when you look at it, from a GDP aspect, uh, the GDP of the dairy industry in, in Canada is slightly larger than the GDP of the auto industry. So when you combine the feathers then into the into this whole supply managed package, it's a, it's a fairly significant industry. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, really? it's big uh, numbers. Sarah, do you agree with that? The, uh, the farm industry is bigger than the auto industry? I don't think in Ontario, for sure. Yeah, well, not in Ontario, and I think, but but I think that there is, um, you know, some solid points that, that 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 Keith made there. It really was a decision that the that that the negotiators made, that the Canadians made, to give up some room on dairy in order to save the auto sector. Um, and so, I mean, that, that is it, it is a political conundrum. I think you also see a number of other industries that um, received a little bit more pain than than others. I'm thinking of pharma specifically, and the the biologics were um, reduced. Um, we're reduced from 12, which was the U.S. standard, um, down to 10, which is still two years longer than Canada. So you, you calculate the amount of revenue that the um, generic drug makers could have made in those two years, and you're also talking a substantial amount of money. But I think you know, really what this was was a defensive win for Canada. There's a lot of other, there was, you know, the United States wanted more than they gave them, um, and they managed to, you know, keep Chapter 19 under a new name now, Chapter 10, but the, a lot of the pieces that were very important for Canada were maintained in the agreement, but at the same time, they didn't really get anything new. So you know, I think in the end, it was a, it was a defensive play. Uh, every six years, it will be brought back to the three parties to have a discussion on and make a decision whether or not they want to continue with it or not. And so maybe there's an opportunity six years from now um, to see you know, how, how the agreement has affected the dairy industry in Canada, because as you'll notice, the, the quotas every year, so the access grows into the Canadian market from the, for United States products. So 
it is, um, it's definitely a win for the United States uh, and a good, solid defensive play by Canada. Um, uh, I'd also argue that if you look at the automobile industry, there's still no guarantee on the tariff reduction on steel and aluminum. So we don't know what that means for the auto industry either. But going back to an earlier comment, just, just for your reference, there's 140,000 people in Ontario in the auto industry. The agri-food industry has 830,000 people employed in it. So be careful how you, how you position uh, the size of the industries because, uh, you know, in Ontario alone, agriculture is the biggest industry. In Canada, the dairy industry is equal to or slightly bigger than the auto industry. So, you know, trying to, trying to put one against the other is kind of the wrong play here. Okay. Um, I, agree with that. I think it, it's, it's important that you don't, you don't want, uh, the Canadian government doesn't want to necessarily pick winners in industry, right? So that they, they want to see all these different places succeed. And so I think that, um, you know, it was a hard negotiation, and, and, I, and I'm sure that the United States wanted more access than, than was given. Uh, I want to pick up on uh, the the concessions to the pharmaceutical industry in the United States. I think that's something that potentially could affect our audience. So it means that drug prices on on newer drugs, uh, you know, the the special, um, the exclusive, uh, you know, rights for a new drug will last for two years longer. Now, a lot of drugs are covered under our health plans, particularly for people over. 65, but, uh, you know, not all drugs are covered because there is a finite amount of money. I mean, how do you think that could impact? Well, I think there's a definite impact there, and I know that the the, pharm- the pharmaceutical industry in Canada was watching that very carefully. So I think, you know, but, but that's kind of a perfect example of compromise, right? The United States wanted 12, and Canada wanted 8, and we ended up at 10. So is it is it as bad as it could have been? No. Is it as good as it could have been? No. So I, I think we're, we're solidly in the middle on that, which I think is really what you see throughout this agreement, is we landed very much in the middle. It's, a, it's an agreement that's so similar to what was agreed to in TPP, that I, I think it was you know very easy for them to write in a in a, in a tightened timeline as they did, um, and the few issues that really kind of raised their heads that were separate from this negotiation um, and unique to this negotiation were really resolved in in a manner that all three countries can can walk away from it and hold and hold their heads high. Um, and Keith, do you feel like uh, you're as your industry is is the scapegoat. I mean, you know, the background for this is that there are a lot of, um, you know, supply management is under a lot of fire. There, there are a lot of other countries that just don't agree with it. Yeah, I, I don't want to use the term scapegoat. Certainly, we would have liked to have seen a better deal overall for the supply managed sector. But, you know, the reality is the, the integration of the, of the total food industry with the United States is so imperative to our, our economic growth and, and our economic well-being being for that matter. So we want to make sure that, that the right deal is in place to continue and foster that, that growth of economic development on both sides of the border because we're so... You know, so much integrated. We hear about, you know, the the number of times uh, an automobile crosses the border before the final product is put together. The same thing is is true with with food. I mean, our, our products cross the border three, four, five, six times before they get on the consumer's table, and that's that's jobs, that's economic development, and, and it's it's so integral to the health of the industry. So, you know, we we want to make sure that we are able to maintain and grow that 
uh, th those abilities to, to, to trade with our, our neighbors to the south. So, you know, we, we want to make sure that, that this is the right deal for everybody involved because we don't want our partners across the other side of the border to suffer either. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll know better as the deal goes on on, on how this all turns out in the end. Uh, hopefully it's, it, it, it is a win-win-win for everybody, but uh, we'll have to wait and see. Okay, I want to give the numbers out again. I want to hear from people. Um, my own take on this is that in, uh, if you drill down to a personal level, I think the biggest win for us is that, um, you know, we don't have damage uh, to an engine of our economy, which is the auto sector. And that uh, ultimately could have hurt us all. You know, I think there are little bits that people might find good. Um, or people might find bad. The numbers to call 416 360 toll free 1-866-744-740. I'm uh, talking to Keith Curry, who is with the Ontario Federation of Agriculture, and Sarah Goldfeder, who is a principal at Earnscliff Strategy Group and a former special assistant to two U.S. ambassadors to Canada. Now, one of the things, and... For anybody who shops online, uh, this is probably good for people who shop online and uh, um, uh, probably bad for some oh, Canadian retailers. And uh, that are the, that's the rules for uh, what they call de minimis online shopping. It used to be that anything over 40 bucks you paid duty on, that is now increased to $150. Uh, and uh, so um, this is, you know, uh, a win, I guess, if you like to shop online. I don't know. I mean, you know, there are things like shipping charges and all of that. You know, I always used to find or still find that most of the time, Buying anything online is is way more expensive than buying something um, in uh, bricks and mortar. Uh, Keith, I don't know if you have an opinion on that. Yeah, the rock products in particular, there's not a lot of cross-border online shopping. There may be some of the further value-added stuff, uh, certainly that can be purchased online. Uh, again, we'll have to wait and see what the actual impact of that is for our industry, but we haven't really got a handle on that just yet. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, what about uh, personally? Do you think that's a good idea, a bad idea? I don't personally do a lot of online shopping myself, but I know when I look at my kids' generation, I mean, they do, you know, a large portion of what they do online. So, it, it you know, it, it could be a good thing. Um, I, I probably would have to defer to them to get their opinion on it, to be honest with you. It's not something that I personally put a lot of thought into at this time. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, in at Queen's Park in question period, uh, Andrea Horvath, the opposition leader, was, was standing up for the farmers in the statement released right after the deal was reached from Doug Ford, the premier. He was talking about protecting farmers. At this point, what could he do? Are we talking about some kind of compensation? Yeah, uh, Doug Ford is since being elected has been steadfast in protecting the farmer's interest uh, in, in this deal. Uh, I don't know that he is in the position financially to offer up any kind of financial uh, compensation unless it's a matter of you know going to, to Ottawa to talk to the federal government about how can we help 
you know, how can we help protect uh, the negative impact that this may result uh, from, the, from this trade deal? And again, it's, it, we're really early in, 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 in this process. That, you know, the agreement's been reached uh, and not ratified yet. So we have to see a lot of details and see this play out before we really understand what we're dealing with, before we start asking for some kind of support uh, in this. But we certainly will be talking with uh, both the provincial government and the federal government as, as the days uh, continue to move on here. Okay. Um, and uh, Sarah, do we have you back? I am here. Yeah. You're here. Okay. We were having a little trouble with your line. And what do you make of the changes, uh, the, the so-called de minimis? I know it sounds pretty technical, but it, again, as referred to uh, referencing online shopping and, you know, it all comes down to American retailers com- competing with Canadian retailers. Sure. And I mean, it's important to remember that the de minimis standard for the United States, so when you, if you're sitting in the United States and you order something that's coming in from outside the United States um, you know, via on to online relay, retailer, the threshold is 800 U.S. dollars. And so Canada's was 20 Canadian. Yeah. Um, so there's a pretty big disparity there, which I think kind of explains why the United States wanted to see the Canadian uh, de minimis standard increase. And they also asked the Mexicans to do the same. So the Mexicans increased theirs to 200 U.S. dollars. Um, and Canada increased theirs to 150 Canadian dollars. So you know, Canada still, out of the three countries, has the lowest and minimum threshold, um, which provides some protection for Canadian retailers. Um, and you know, I think um, there's been a you know, like a number of studies done on on the de minimis uh, levels and where it would need to be in order to be profitable, um, in order to create any sort of revenue for the government of Canada. So you needed that threshold to kind of reflect that. And I think um, it's a good compromise. It's uh, you know, and in, 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 in the scope of you know, 800 US to 20 Canadian, you're coming out at 150 Canadian. That's kind of closer to the Canadian side than the Americans' preference. Uh, yeah, except that all the big retailers are, tend to be American, not Canadian. Uh, I, I'm just wondering, because sometimes I often wonder when I look at things online, and it often comes out with whatever they calculate as duties on it. it the thing comes out to be more expensive than if I walked down the street and bought it here. And I, I'm not quite sure how that works, because presumably the retailers who import the stuff already pay duties on it. Well, when you buy it online, so that's the de minimis right there. Yeah. Is what you're talking about is the effect of the de minimis. So when you buy it online from, if you're ordering through like Border Free from Nordstrom's or something like that, that's exactly what you're seeing is if that, if your purchase is above 20 Canadian dollars, those duties are reflected as part of the de minimis. So now you would, you have a threshold of 150 Canadian dollars. When um, and before those duties would kick in. So if you're buying something that's fifty dollar, fifty Canadian dollars now, you won't have those duties put in. It'll come in duty free. Right. But what I'm asking was, how was it that if if I paid the duties on something and ordered it online, it would come out to be more expensive than if I bought it in a Canadian bricks and mortar store when that retailer had already paid the duty on it and had to pay all kinds of overhead. Well, because of NAFTA, they may not have needed to pay duty on it. It would have been cheaper for them, depending on what the product was. It may have been cheaper for them to bring it into Canada than it is for you as a as an individual to order it from the United States and have it delivered to your home. Okay, well, and on that very note, I'm going to bring in Corrine Pullman with the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. Hi, Corrine. 
Hi there. So, uh, first of all, from the point of view of small business, uh, yay or nay, this is a good deal? Well, um, certainly we're uh, pleased to see that uh, the negotiations seem to have come to some kind of deal, but uh, until we see all the details, there are still some concerns out there for certain sectors of the economy that may be negatively impacted, which includes some of our members in things like supply management, like dairy, uh, some of the retailers, potentially also the steel and aluminum. So while we're, um, we're cautiously optimistic that this is, we're going down the right path, but we need to make sure that those sectors' uh, issues are addressed as well. Okay. Um, we were just on the subject of online shopping and mm-hmm. how this is affecting retailers. So it used to be that you'd get charged duty on anything above 20 bucks. That's up to 150 Do you think that will cost business for uh, retailers, Canadian retailers, online or bricks and mortar? You know, I'm wondering that, you know, by the time you pay a shipping cost on a small amount, not necessarily worth it. Uh, yeah, that's right. And I do think uh, it will have an impact um, and probably less so on the duty side, though that is still a significant jump from 20 to 150. But they're also allowing, they're doubling the amount that can be brought in sales tax free, right, which is going to go up to from 20 to $40. And right. That's where I think the bigger hit comes in because every Canadian retailer on the ground has to charge GST or HST from dollar one, and their competitors are now able to bring it in uh, up to forty dollars tax free. So that's where I think the hit is. Not that the duties aren't; they're also going to have an impact, but I think the bigger hit's going to be on the taxation side. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you have any data on the average size of an online purchase from the United States? I mean, uh, are people bothered to make a smallish purchase of twenty or forty dollars? Um, there have been various uh, studies done. I've been told of one that the average is closer to $100, but we also believe that these kinds of changes could have potentially also uh, create certain behaviors in, in buyers, right? So if they know that they can get it under a certain amount, um, they may then start looking at at products that maybe come under that amount and bring them in or split up certain orders so they come in in that amount. We don't know, right? So the impacts uh, are unclear at this point in time. The other thing that's going to be super important, though, is that we get the government insurers Canada Post is collecting that um, those taxes, right? And that's already an issue today. And really? And something we've been pushing for to make sure that they're properly collecting those taxes 100% of the time, which is certainly not happening now, but is going to be essential for it to happen moving forward. Okay. Uh, so can you explain that? Is it up to Canada Post to collect the taxes? Uh, so mo- in most things, most places, the taxes are figured in. But for instance, mm-hmm. I have a couple of websites where they don't charge sales tax. Mm-hmm. And uh, if it if they come to your door, they're supposed to then ask you for that uh, duty and or taxes when they deliver it to you. Um, and you'll probably see that more often uh, through a courier company like FedEx, UPS, or others. They're uh, more likely to do that than Canada Post will. Um, but uh, that has been a bit of an issue uh, ongoing for us and for our members who are in the retail business for some time. Isn't that interesting <laughs> that that a crown corporation is the one that isn't very good about collecting taxes for the government? Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, and uh, we we have Keith Curry on the line, and you're saying uh, that you also represent uh, some uh, businesses that are affected by these changes to supply management. 
Yes, uh, we certainly have members in the dairy sector uh, as well as in the other sectors, though I, my understanding right now is that it's dairy that is mostly being affected by these changes. And so we're very concerned about what this is going to mean for that particular industry, uh, how the government's going to respond to those changes. They need, I think, some clarity fairly quickly. Um, you know, what is the transition plan? What is the type of compensation that may or be brought forward? I think that's something that uh, I think we need a lot more information on before we can pass judgment on that part of the deal. Okay. Uh, We are going to take another break. We have to say goodbye to Keith Curry. Uh, Keith, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, Just in 10 seconds, what are you waiting to see next? Well, we're we're waiting to see the final details of this agreement, obviously, before we can make a a wholesale uh, critique on it. Uh, is, is it good to have a deal done? Yes. Uh, we just have to make sure it's the right deal for us. And, and yes, we are all small businesses, so uh, it could be potentially very impactful. Okay. Thank you very much, Keith. Uh, everybody else, hold on. Sarah and Corrine, we're going to be bringing in Jim Wilson, the Minister of Economic Development. And again, I also want to hear from our listeners. I know we're all digesting how this is affecting us. And also, um, you know, a lot of our listeners uh, were uh, kind of uh, trashing uh, Christia Freeland. So uh, I'm going to want to know what you think of that in the end. Did she do a good Good job, and was it a good idea to be tough? Uh, so right now we're going to take a break, and uh, when we come back, we'll have more, and we will also have the Minister of Economic Development back after this. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. I am now going to bring into the conversation Ontario's Minister of Economic Development, Jim Wilson. Hello, Jim. Hi, Libby. How are you? Fine. How are you? Well, you know, interesting day. Uh-huh. <laughs> so uh, is this a good thing, a bad thing, or in between? Well, we've got mixed emotions. Uh, you know, up to this point, we've certainly stood side by side with the federal government as the uh, last 13 months as they negotiated the new NAFTA. But when we look at the details... Uh, it, uh, they're unable to answer questions about, you know, what the effect's going to be on our dairy sector and our poultry and eggs. Um, and they still uh, haven't removed the tariffs, the 25% tariff on steel and the 10% tariff on aluminum. So we're not there quite yet as a province of Ontario to, to sign off on this thing. Um, there's too many jobs at stake still in, in steel and aluminum. And the money that was promised by the federal government months ago to alleviate that sector, the tariffs that are in those sectors, I can't name one company that's actually received any money yet, and jobs are being affected, and so it's hard to trust them when it comes to the dairy sector. They were unable today, for example, to tell uh, the Premier and I on a conference call uh, what the cost will be to our dairy sector, how much money is involved in terms of compensating, or whether they will fully compensate our our dairy farmers who are being hit very hard by this deal. well, my understanding is that they're they're phasing in quite slowly increased access for American products. Uh, so, is there a big immediate impact, or you just don't know? We just don't know. I mean, you would you would think they would have a formula, uh, uh, you know, developed over the last thirteen months in conjunction with the dairy farmers of Canada. I'm I'm very worried in my own riding and and many of the ridings there are. Uh, thousands of dairy farms in the province of Ontario. Uh, the uncertainty in that sector is a little unfair, given that, uh, as you know uh, very well, uh, people were talking about the fact that dairy might be part of this deal, 
so we've known for a long time, and the federal government's not able to provide those answers today, which is, you know, deeply disturbing and very concerning to, to the government of Ontario. Mm-hmm. And when you say and when the Premier says that it will stand with the dairy farmers, what does that mean? Are you contemplating uh, putting in effect some kind of compensation of your own, or is that up to the feds? Well, it's up to the feds under the Constitution. This is a, they're responsible for international trade deals, every other trade deal that I've ever heard of. Uh, the federal government uh, does the compensation. With a $15 billion deficit, we're not looking at doing compensation, nor should we be asked to. That's a trick of opposition parties to throw that on, on the government here. The fact of the matter is um, it's an international agreement. The federal government's solely responsible for it. They said they would compensate dairy farmers and chicken and egg farmers, if that's what we come to. Uh, details are unknown, and Prime Minister today not being able to tell us on the phone what the cost would be, what the rollout would be. You know, it's deeply disturbing when you've known for months that, that this this day was going to come. Mm-hmm. Are, are those details actually worked out? Well, they weren't able to tell us that. So there's a technical briefing later on today, and maybe we'll see see more details. But um, several provinces asked the same questions. Ontario, uh, Ontario's Premier Doug Ford asked of the Prime Minister today, and weren't able to get answers, which, you know, it's hard to trust them that they're actually going to roll this stuff out in a timely manner to make sure our dairy farmers don't have massive layoffs and, you know, having to sell tractors and cattle uh, just to make ends meet, when they've had months to respond to the steel and aluminum tariffs and not one dollar's flowing. And so they've told us time and time again. Now, the Prime Minister did did uh, agree today that that was a process problem. Well, they've been telling us that for a number of weeks now. It's not a process problem when you have millions of dollars at stake and you've got jobs on the line and you're supposed to get these rebates back at the border federal government needs to live up to what it said it would do, and it needs to do that in dairy, and it should have answers today, and it's disturbing that I have to go out now and that our Minister of Agriculture and our Premier have to go out, and we simply don't have the answers to pass on from the federal government. That's a very unfair position to put us in, given that we stood shoulder to shoulder with them through this whole process. Uh, yeah, the other thing I'd like to ask you about, and uh, we have a representative of the, of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business on the line, is the impact on retailers. The rules uh, regarding online shopping have changed. Uh, the so-called de minimis, and that's the amount of, of goods you can buy from an American online retailer without paying duties has gone up to 150 bucks. The amount you can buy without paying sales tax has gone up, has doubled from 20 to $40. Uh, do you have a sense of how that will affect our businesses here? And do you have a take on it? Uh, we don't have a number on that. We just know that obviously it will affect uh, uh, Ontario online retailers. Um, it will affect uh, brick, bricks and mortar shops as well, uh, given that... Uh, Canadians will now be able to buy up to $100 worth U.S. Uh, online products duty-free or even at the border. So it's, it's, it's foot traffic also. Uh-huh. It's $150. Uh, it's, uh, it's $100 U.S., so does that come out on oh. $130 or $150? Oh, okay. Yeah. So um, that's the way the deal's, deal's written. Um, but, uh, again, we don't have the specifics, and you would think that they would have immediate dollar figures for all of these questions, and I suspect the bailouts are so large that they don't want that number out there. I suspect that's a political football they don't want to play, but they need to be honest to, to the dairy sector, to steel and aluminum. So it's affecting, you know, it's not just affecting agriculture, steel and aluminum affects pretty well every job in the province when you look at it.
Well, uh, the Prime Minister is live now speaking about this, and he says that the USMCA is a modernized and updated free trade agreement that will be good for Canadian workers. Jim Wilson, is that just a bunch of rhetoric? or No, I mean, the Prime Minister, you know, credit due where credit's due, and, and that is it does take uncertainty off the table for a number of our sectors, but if you're going to throw our dairy farmers under the bus, you should have answers, and it's irresponsible of him today not to be able to provide those answers. Uh-huh. And uh, is is there any other sector? Now, uh, one of the things we've been talking about is uh, the pharmaceutical sector, the fact that uh, that uh, some drugs are now protected for an extra two years yeah. before generics. And I would imagine that's going to affect the Ontario government, which pays for a lot of drugs yeah, for, the, for seniors and for everyone else. Yeah, well, good point. I mean, we're the largest uh, drug purchaser in, in uh, Canada. So it affects Ontario a lot more than most other provinces. And uh, the price of our generic drugs will go up because, of course, it will be two years uh, longer before we can uh, convert those brand-name drugs into um, uh, innovative drugs into generic drugs. So definitely have an effect on our health sector. We do have some numbers on that, and I'd have to refer to the health minister. But, um, you know, it's not, it's not devastating. Uh, we'll be able to handle it. What is devastating is dairy farms that will have to close and uh, no idea what the compensation or what the formula is going to be from the federal government. Mm -hmm. Uh, And back to the issue of drugs, you're saying it's not devastating, but will that, I mean, you know, it takes a while for drugs to be covered under the formulary and, you know, less money. There's only so much money. Yeah, well, good point. But in terms of drugs coming off patent, um, I think that's something that that we kind of expected. Uh, Canada's had pretty pretty good rules there for our generic companies and so um, just speaking as a former health minister I'm, I'm not surprised uh, that that was uh, uh, discussed at the bargaining table and ended up where it was. I, from a from perspective many years ago uh, we were looking at things like 15 years patent protection so an extra couple of years I think we dodged a bullet there. Mm-hmm. Oh well that's interesting uh, you know uh, I know you have to be a bit diplomatic but uh Trudeau is saying Canada got here because we kept our focus and collective collective resolve. Was their negotiation stance a good thing? Uh, you say. I mean, you know, we saw uh, Trump coming out. You know, who knows what that was about? If it was just posturing, or he really was mad at our negotiators. Uh, what's your take on that, Jim? Well, we stood shoulder to shoulder with the federal government, and and President Trump was doing what what he should be doing. He was standing up for American workers and. You know, Doug Ford and I and all of Cabinet and our caucus and the PC party uh, stood up and are standing up for Ontario workers. So negotiations are what they are, and the president had his way of negotiating, and the prime minister had his way of negotiating. There's no one way to negotiate. So our only shock today, or last night when we got the text, um, was that no answers for our dairy farmers and to the extent of damage that's going to be done. And uh, the fact that we were led to believe, you know, I was down in Washington in July, and again, the Premier and I were there just a few weeks ago, and we were led to believe in the face-to-face meetings that the Section 232 tariffs on steel and aluminum would go by the wayside once we had an AFTA, and to our shock, uh, they're still there, stronger than ever. Okay. Uh, I'm sure that we will be speaking to you again about this, uh, perhaps uh, when you get some more clarity on it. Jim Wilson, uh, appreciate your time. 
and your take. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay. So uh, first, um, let's take a call from Joyce in Scarborough. Hi, Joyce. Oh, hi, Libby. Okay. It was Trudeau that goofed. When Trump um, became president, he congratulated him on a phone call, and I heard it. Uh, on an, I heard it on the radio, and guess what? Uh, it was Trudeau that opened up uh, NAFTA. Trump didn't say boo about NAFTA, so all the you know the wonders that uh, Trump Trump uh, has been on about NAFTA starting in his campaign. That's no, no, not true. But yes, when, when yes, Joyce, it's true. So, do you think that uh, that we would have got a better deal with uh, you know a different approach from Trudeau? Is that what you're saying? Well, not Trudeau because he's too inept. Uh, I I phoned you before. Uh, he d- tr- Trump does not like women. Uh, he buys them. Well, uh, yeah, we uh, we have a, a a major disagreement on that. But I know. Uh, Trump Trump said he didn't like Christian Freeland, so you yeah. think that was a factor? Okay, Joyce, thanks. Uh, and uh, Corinne, uh, what do you think? Do you think this tough negotiating stance from the Canadians? Do you think that helped or hindered the deal? Well, you know, it's. <laughs> I, I personally would never want to be a trade negotiator because I can't imagine how difficult it is. And I know that uh, often what is said publicly is not necessarily what's happening privately and vice versa. So I think it's always difficult to know whether the right, this strategy was the right strategy. And I guess there's always, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. Um, the key is that uh, there is a deal on the table now. And uh, I think that brings a little bit of... Um, security or at least some uh, stability to uh, many small businesses who are out there wondering what was happening. But of course, there remains many questions, as was outlined well by, I think, Jim Wilson, that uh, we need to still get answers to. And until we do, um, I think we all have to reserve some judgment on the overall um, benefit to the, of this deal. But I think for the most part, um, at least we're at a deal at this point. Mm-hmm. And Sarah Goldfeder, uh, do you have any comment on the negotiating style and the butting of heads and Christian Freeland and, and her perceived insults to Trump? Uh, do you have any take on that and the impact on the outcome? I don't think it had any impact on the on the outcome. I think that you know, the negotiating was primarily done from, by the negotiators, by Steve Verhul and um, and by John Melly. And and the work that Lighthizer and Freeland and Guadaro did, not to understate it at all, but um, I, and I think you saw that the three of them had respect for each other. I, I think that a lot is being made of, of making sure that Canada pleases Trump, and I don't know that that's Canada's role. I think um, it's probably a lot more important to Canadians that the Canadian leadership and the people that were that were negotiating the NAFTA deal were standing up for Canada's best interests. Um, and I think one of those best interests was ensuring that they got a deal at the end of the day um, to preserve, you know, some level of, of security and stability for investment to to ensure that you know continued investment into Canada occurs globally. And so I think that that's that's you know the outcome that they came to. Sure, there's going to be some questions as to how all these different chapters line up and the impacts for um, different sectors of the economy. Um, but the one thing that we do know is that having some sort of structure in place um, is, is better than having no structure at all. And we were beginning to be subject to not just the carrots of a free trade agreement, which is the normal negotiating process, but also some sticks in the form of the 232 tariffs had come out. And so 
Um, you know, we still may be managing the issue on steel and aluminum, but at least we foresaw the issue on autos for a bit. Right. And my understanding on those steel and aluminum tariffs is that uh, uh, while the tariffs are still there, you, you remember they were made worse because the, the Americans said that it, it was a national security issue uh, and they've taken that off. Well, no, Section 232 is a national security issue. Okay, sorry. Issue, I'm... Right? That's, yeah. So Section 232 of the, of the, Trade, um, the Trade Expansion Act of 1962 is a United States law that allows the president to declare an industry a, a, a national security risk. And so, that's, so that, I think, is, continues to be problematic for this government. Okay, uh, let's take a call from Bill in Toronto. Hi, Bill. Hi, how are you? Fine, how are you? Good. The, the one, the, there's several things I don't hear about. There was, uh, Canada was pounding the table about uh, gender equality, global warming, and certain conditions for Aboriginal people. Uh, they don't seem that nobody seems to be talking about those. Do they all get thrown by the wayside? Uh, I, I'm going to ask our guests, but uh, a lot was made out of that, that those kind of touchy-feely demands kind of, uh, you know, stuck in the Americans' craw and held things up. Uh, Sarah, do you have a take on that? Sure. So a lot of those, you know, they were considered kind of the progressive trade agenda. And I think that at the end of the day, what they ended up doing was, maintaining the pieces that specifically had to do with um, providing a living wage for workers in other countries, ensuring that a living wage was being met and ensuring that there was a, a, uh, a level playing field in manufacturing, which they did in the auto rules of origin. But they did um, I, you move away from some of the other items, the gender equality and the indigenous, um, indigenous chapter. And, and I think that, you know, part of that discussion writ large on trade is that, you know, some of those pieces are, you know, influencing domestic political policy and domestic policy within other countries. And so that's hard to put into a trade agreement at the end of the day. So I think, you know, you do see they got some of it and some of the pieces that will ensure that the wages that go into manufacturing automobiles are roughly equivalent to, to what a living wage would be in the United States and Canada. Okay, uh, we have very little time left, and we have uh, reached Dan Yutso, who is a lawyer with Dixon Wright in Ohio. And uh, Dan, uh, uh, sorry about that. We have very little time left. Uh, do you think that the uh, Canadians, uh, you know, how do you think we did in this negotiation? You're with my great friend Sarah here. Uh, yes. <laughs> hi, Dan. Uh, yeah, I think, yeah, hi, Sarah. Uh, I, I think the Canadians got about the best deal that they possibly could, given the circumstances. I mean, it, it's less about the tenor and tone and, and the T-shirt of the day and the tweet of the day. And frankly, it was all about the clock. And um, the, the, big, the, big, the largest issue was we had to get this deal done um, before the transition and leadership in Mexico. And, and given that political reality and our procedural rules in the U.S., this was a very real deadline on October 1st, and so that clock worked against Canada, and I think we've seen some pretty significant concessions, but there's also a lot of good news in there for businesses. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, North America is going to be a safe harbor uh, in a world full of tariffs uh, and troubled water. So I, I think, you know, if we can lock this deal down um, in relatively short order, and we'll have to wait until 2019 to do that, that this, this stability in North America will, will help spur some trade investment here while... You know, the rest of the world looks pretty uncertain right now, particularly with China. 
And uh, Dan, again, in, in less than a minute, please, uh, do you think any of the histrionics surrounding the negotiations made a difference? Uh, Chris, you Freeland annoying them. Did that make a difference? Uh, Donald Trump's rhetoric? Um, or was this just the way it was going to work out? No, I mean, we're dealing with a different animal here with President Trump in terms of the tenor and tone. I mean, this is the theatrics are part of the negotiating tactics. I mean, there, we can always hind, you know, hindsight this and say we should have zigged and instead of Zach here. Um, I do think one of the big mistakes was Canada going to China to try to negotiate a free trade agreement in the fall. I, I think that really had the U.S. wondering, you know, why are you with us or are you against us when China was clearly the target for this administration? But outside of that, you know, like I said, the tweet of the day, the T-shirt of the day really didn't have anything to do with where we ended up. It was more about the clock. Okay. And speaking of the clock, uh, we are also out of time. Dan Yutso, uh, I appreciate that very much. Also, Sarah Goldfeder and Corrine Pullman. Thank you all for shedding some light. There'll be a lot more to find out about in the coming days. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.